It is an amazing thing that Jesus, the Christ, the only Son of God, would die for you, that he would die for me. What a marvelous, beautiful truth this is in the gospel this morning. Well, if you have your scriptures with you this morning, I'd encourage you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 29 and 30 today. As you turn there, I want you to consider what has already been said of Hebrews chapter 11 and what that might mean for by faith to happen today. For in Hebrews 11, we hear that by faith, Enoch offered a more acceptable sacrifice. By faith, uh, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken up. By faith, Noah constructed an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed God. What if by faith, a teenager endures the mocking of their peers for the sake of Christ? Or by faith, a son buries his parents in assurance that he will once again see them? Or by faith, a friend bravely addresses conflict among their peers? By faith, a single woman finds her contentment in the quietness of her own home. By faith, a grandfather encourages a wayward grandson. And by faith, a widow discovers the nearness of the presence of God. Or by faith, a father hopes for the salvation of their grown child. It is not merely for the people of old that faith is essential. It is for the people of today as well. And so as we continue through the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, let us see how the faith of those who came before us is a faith that we ourselves need. As we are in our ninth week of this series, A Great Cloud of Witnesses, we've seen how these saints of old were called to great things of faith, sometimes simple acts, sometimes large and dangerous acts. And this morning today, by God's grace, we will see once more how God has called his people to trust him by faith. Let us pray, and then we will read the word of God. Our Father in heaven, we now come before your throne. We open up your word, and we ask you to feed your church. Lord, all that has been done this morning, the prayers and the songs, they have been offered to you, and so now receive the offering of this sermon. With attentive ears, teach us to listen. By the work of your Spirit, massage your word into the hearts of your people. Give us hearts of flesh, that we may not merely be hearers of the word, but doers also. By the faith of those who came before us, encourage, enliven, and challenge us. And by your grace, call us to greater works yet. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Two verses this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 29 and 30. Let's read together. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. Two simple stories. We'll look at both of them 
from their Old Testament passages. But let's begin there in the first part. Verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. Of course, the people that's being discussed here, who are they? They are the ancient Israelites. If you're familiar with your Old Testament, specifically the book of Exodus, you'll remember this story where Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. I never saw it, but that great Charleston Heston movie, right? That's the actor. Uh, Those of you who are older in the congregation giving me some nods. Uh, That idea where Moses goes, he asks for the people. God told me to let the people go. Pharaoh, let them go. And he sees the people of Egypt, let the Israelites go, and then they go out into the wilderness where they meet at the Red Sea. And so the people of Israel are taken there to the foot of the Red Sea where they're put into an impossible situation. Chapter 14 of the book of Exodus says this, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. You see, Pharaoh may have let the people go, but he had changed his mind, and it was time to hunt down his slaves. Those slaves which he let go, he wanted them back. And so his army marched out on the people of Israel. Verse 11, they said, the people of Israel said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have we done to bring, what have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness." What a difficult place the Israelites were in in this moment. I mean, imagine for just a minute, you've got the Red Sea miles across at that point. The Red Sea on one side, and you've got the Egyptian army coming down on you on the other side. You've got a set of one million former slaves filled with women and children and animals and ill-trained men for any kind of battle against one of the world's most formidable armies. There's only one way this ends for the Israelites. A lot of them are going to die, and they're all going back to Egypt. And yet this morning, what we see is that by faith, God's people trust God for the impossible. Truly, this was an impossible situation for Israel, and yet God starts showing up immediately. In the, later in that chapter of chapter 14 in Exodus, we see how God's angel, who had been leading the Israelites and brought them to the Red Sea, notice that is God's own plan. He put them in this position. They could have gone a different way, avoided the Red Sea entirely, but God placed them right there because he goes, I got something I want to show you. I got a deliverance I want to prove for you. That angel that was that cloud of, of, uh, of the cloud that went before them moved behind the Israelites to protect them from the Egyptians, so that the Egyptians and the Israelites could not come near one another. And then we read this about what God calls Moses to do. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, dividing the waters. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. 
God provides a miraculous, incredible, impossible way of deliverance for the people of Israel. He parts the Red Sea, and Israel learns that by faith, they can walk through God's way of salvation. They're that way of rescue for those ancient Israelites. And they must only receive it by faith. Can you imagine what's going through their minds in this moment? First of all, they're terrified by the Egyptians, but then the sea parts and they're walking through it. And probably the first thing that goes to their mind is just joy. Like, we're not going to die. There's a way here, a way of rescue. We can get out of here. But then you walk through the middle of it a little bit, and I would imagine there's a couple of people looking to their right and their left going, what is going on? I am not sure I'm okay with this all the way. Many of you, maybe you've been to one of these aquariums, like Philly's got a great one where you can go and you get into the tunnel, right? And the tunnel's got the water that goes all the way over you. And it's awesome because you're like, this is incredible. You've got fish swimming by, you've got the stingray coming overhead. But then there's that moment where the shark is swimming at you and you're all of a sudden not entirely sure you're okay with being underwater. I imagine there's some moments like this for the Israelites as they're walking through the Red Sea, and yet it is by faith that their fear of what might happen if they walk through these walls of water, it's overcome by knowing that God has provided a way of salvation, a way of rescue. And so they, by faith, walk through the Red Sea as on dry ground. But notice, it is not their faith in the parting of the Red Sea which rescues them. It is God's act of separating the sea. As we've sung today, as we've heard taught in the Sunday school classes already, salvation is not by your strength or by your might or power. It is not even by the strength of faith. It is a work of God himself. Moses underlines this emphatically right before the Red Sea is parted. In verses 13 and 14, Moses tells the people, Fear not. Are you kidding, Moses? Like, Egyptians coming to kill us. Don't be afraid, Israel. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And that ended up being true. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. What a beautiful picture that is, that God himself went to war for his people. He provides the way of escape through the Red Sea, and Israel does what? Nothing. Stay silent, Israel, and watch the deliverance that God will provide for you then the only thing they must do is, by faith, lay hold of the way of salvation by walking through the sea. God provides the escape, and their faith lays hold of that. That is the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this exodus is a picture. It is a shadow of the true salvation found in Jesus Christ. That for all, not by their faith, not by the strength of their faith, not by making a way because of their faith, but because their faith laid hold of Jesus Christ, who is God's way of salvation. For Romans puts it this way, 
For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be an heir of the world did not come by the law. It did not come by human works or strength, not by the might of man, but rather through the righteousness of faith. You see, what we see in this passage, that by faith the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, that whole Exodus picture is a picture of how Jesus is the way of escape. And by faith, those who cling to him, those who take God's way of escape, are rescued from the impossible situation, the impossible situation of our own sin. And yet, we see there in that text of Hebrews verse, chapter 11, verse 29, that For Israel, this was a path of salvation through the Red Sea. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. You see, the way of God's salvation is for God's people the path of salvation. And yet for the enemy of God, it is the path of death. For those Israelites, it brought them rescue from certain death. And for the Egyptians... It brought them death. You can see how that cloud that was separating the Israelites and the Egyptians, when God says, all right, the Israelites are just about through that Red Sea, he moves that cloud, and what happens? The Egyptians see their opportunity. Here's the moment they've been waiting for, where they can chase down those slaves they've been commanded to go get. Let's get them back. Are you kidding me? They just walked through here, and they left us a well-beaten path that we might go through. You know, the recounting of that story in Exodus says that God caused the wheels of their chariots to be clogged and he closed the waters upon them. So that that path that God brought for them, for the Israelites, for salvation, is for the Egyptians, their death. The Egyptians sought to use God's means of salvation as their own means of wickedness to bring about death and slavery, and God would not have it. So it is even today that there are those who would seek to use the name of Jesus Christ to advance their own ends, to take advantage of it for personal means. This has been the way it has been throughout history. Consider the Crusades, where popes in the name of wealth and charity and uh, an attempt to grab territory, they hold the name of Christ up and they say, in the name of Christ, let's go Make us rich. Or you think of Adolf Hitler in the Second World War, where he used the veil of the German Lutheran Church to moralize his own genocides. In the name of Jesus, we will do awful things, and people have throughout history. And so it is even today that there are those who will seek to use the name of Jesus for their own desires, to advocate their ideas, and even to justify their own sin. This is why you see banners and signs about Jesus waved over gay pride parades and conservative rallies. Both want to use Jesus for their own agendas. But God is not mocked, the scriptures remind us. If anyone seeks to use Jesus Christ for their own personal benefit, their end will be like the Egyptians, whether in this life or the one to come. For John, that great writer of the Gospel of John that reminds us of the love of God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, he also writes about the justice of God. In chapter 5, he says, 
For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so the Son also gives life to those he will. What a beautiful thing that is, that we have life from God, that he gives life to those who he wills. And this is a beautiful, wonderful, loving thing from God. And yet in the next verse, it says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So the same Jesus that rescues from sin is the same Jesus who stands as judge over all who will either be rescued or judged for their sin. You see, when Jesus returns, he'll come to rescue his bride, his beautiful church, which he died for. He'll bring them to himself and they will live with him in a perfect paradise. What a wonderful reality that will be for all who are God's people. And yet there is another end that Jesus comes not only to rescue and to fully restore and redeem all things, but he comes with a sword of judgment as well. That for all who are his enemies, like the Egyptians were the enemies of his people, he will bring judgment so that anyone who does not today bow the knee to Jesus Christ will one day bow their knee. Let me ask you, which part are you part of? Are you part of God's people who see the way of escape through Jesus Christ and by faith lay hold of Jesus Christ and say, he is the way of my salvation. He is the way of my rescue. Or are you numbered with the people who are the enemy of God? Let me give you a test to see if you are one or the other. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That he lived a perfect life? That his death was for you so that he would carry your punishment of sin? Do you believe that he rose again on the third day, defeating sin, conquering death? And that he ascended to heaven from whence he will come to judge both the living and the dead? Do you believe this? Do you more than just accept it as truth? Is it more than mental assent for you? Are the decisions of your life based on the kingship of Jesus over your life? Having believed on him, is your life marked by him? Or do you want to make decisions your own way? Do you want to have authority over your own life, making most of your decisions with little to no regard for God's rules, his kingship, his authority over you? Do you believe and does your life evidence a submission to Jesus Christ? That day is coming when the Egyptians were swallowed up by God's judgment and the day will come when those who are God's enemy will be swallowed up by the judgment of Jesus Christ who is also the Savior of the world. Will we be numbered with God's people or with his enemy? That is but one of our stories for the morning. Let's look now at verse 30, remembering how it is by faith that God's people trust God for the impossible. 
For the Israelites were not done being in impossible situations. Verse 30 says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they were encircled for seven days. All right, here's where we're at in the story. Flash forward from that exodus about 40 years. We've got 40 years advanced into the future here. They've been wandering out around in the wilderness, and they've just crossed over the Jordan into the promised land. Now, this is the land that over 400 years earlier, God made a promise to Abraham, their ancestor, that they would have the land of promise or the promised land as theirs. It would be their possession. But there's a problem. Other people are living there, and they're not going to give up the land without a fight. So the Israelites come to the first city after crossing the Jordan, Jericho, a well-fortified city, And so what do we have? We've got an impossible situation again. We've got a nomadic people wandering through the wilderness for 40 years versus a highly fortified city. All right, Moses is no longer on the scene. It's now Joshua who's in charge. So they show up to Jericho. Joshua, what's the plan, man? We're going to have to go to battle. We're going to have to push the people out of the land. It's God's command for us. So what are we going to do? Perhaps we're going to lay siege. You want me to start building some trebuchets, some catapults? We'll start lobbing fire grenades over the walls, right? No, no, let's, we're not going to do that. Uh, okay, so how about we cut off the supplies for the city, and then they'll have to give up because they'll run out of supplies. No, no, not that one either. Uh, all right. How about with the whole Trojan horse thing? I know it, like, it hasn't even happened yet, but let's do that. Let's be the ones who invent the Trojan horse idea. And we'll like, put, send spies in, they'll open the doors, and like, we'll all come flooding in. Joshua's like, you know what? Um, no, God's got a different plan here. So what God would like us to do is uh, we're all going to line up in a line. Uh, we're going to put the army in the front, and then there's going to be seven priests. They're going to have horns. And then after that, we're going to put the Ark of the Covenant, uh, a golden box with like angels on top, and then everybody else behind them. And we're going to walk around the city. You don't have to like do anything or say anything. We're just going to walk around the city. And we're going to do that again the next day. And then we're going to do that four more days. And on the seventh day, we'll do it seven times. And then when we're done on the seventh time, I'll have those priests blow their trumpets and everybody just scream really loud. Now, okay, I've never played the game of Risk, but that's not how you win battles, right? That's not how you, I'm not a general, but you don't conquer cities that way with shouts and horns by walking around the city a couple, that doesn't happen. And so God tells the Israelites, do this impossible thing that makes no sense whatsoever. What are you going to do, Israel? Will you by faith trust God's plan? Or do you think you've got a better way of attacking the city? Do you trust your own ideas more? You know, Joshua was an assistant to Moses. He walked with Moses through those 40 years. He was there at the Red Sea when it was open. He was a little kid, but he was around. And so Joshua has been watching Moses for a long time, apprenticing underneath him. And when he's put in charge, I imagine those words from Moses continue to ring around in his ears. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. So Joshua decides, you know what? We're going to do it God's way. We're not going to do it our way. 
We're going to circle this city for seven days, and we're going to see what God does. I can imagine the naysayers in the camp of Israel, right? There's over a million of them at this point. Some of them had to think this was a crazy idea. You know, is Joshua, has he lost his mind? Are we really sure this is the guy that we want to follow into the promised land? Like, why are the kids involved? This is war. And yet, the whole people of Israel march around the city of Jericho in spite of any of their doubts. By faith, they obey God's command. Both at the Red Sea and now at Jericho, it is by faith that the people of Israel, together as one, walk through the Red Sea and they march around the city of Jericho and they see the impossible done. You know, many of you, the end of the story of Jericho. They circled the city on that seventh day. The walls of the city, miraculously, by, by no geographic, you can't dig up the reason for why this happened, God knocked the walls down of that city. And the people went in and destroyed the city and took the land for themselves. You see, it is by faith that God accomplished these impossible things. It is by faith that the people of God, these ancient Israelites, practiced faith by obeying what God has said. And so we see it is by faith that God's people trust him for the impossible. And yet, this particular section of the book of Hebrews, these two verses stand out as opposed to all the other ones because these are the only two verses where we hear about groups of people acting on faith. We've seen Moses and Abraham, Enoch and Abel. We've seen all these different individuals practice faith. And yet here in this text, it is the people who practice faith. And so I want us to spend just a moment considering the corporate nature of obedience, the corporate nature of faith together. You see, in our text, it is the ancient Israelites. It's an ethnic people group who are the people of God. And yet in today's time, the people of God is no longer one ethnicity, one Jewish group of people but rather it is now all who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, who call on his name and who say, I have faith in him. They are God's people, united to Christ. That is the church. We see it is no longer merely ethnic, but rather as anyone who has faith. For Ephesians 3 reminds us that this mystery of Christ is that the Gentiles, that's those who aren't Jewish, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The barriers that used to exist between the Jews and the non-Jews, they're gone. And so now there is one covenant people of God. It is the church, a people marked out for his own possession. We each individually do stand before our maker, and we will be judged according to our own deeds, whether it's our sin on Jesus Christ, or our sin on ourselves. And yet, we are not merely individuals before the Lord. He has brought us together into a people, into a family, for all who are in Christ have been brought into the family of Christ. Congratulations, you're adopted. You have a new heavenly father who brought you into a new heavenly family with brothers and sisters who are not like you and who live all around the world 
They don't speak the same languages as you. They don't look the same way as you. And they're throughout time and history. You're part of a much bigger family now for all who have faith in him. This is a wonderful and beautiful truth and unfortunately one that I think we in 21st century America, we have to battle for as the sort of independent, strong-natured Americans that we tend to be. Because you see, each time in church history, each era has its own difficulties. Each set of Christians have to grapple with their own dynamics. In the early church, it was a division between Jews and Gentiles that was so pervasive in their culture that the church had to fight against that. And those conflicts came into the church. During the During the late Roman church, the church was highly influenced by the ties they had to the Roman government. During the medieval period, the church was marked deeply by mysticism that was so indicative of the Middle Ages. And so each time the church is in a different era, we have to recognize that time in human history impacts the church. And the era in which we live is an era of deep individualism. The culture in which we live is one of deep individualism. And if the church is not vigilant, then we will end up assimilating into ourselves, even our deeply held Christian conviction, a sense of individualism. That I'm somehow more an individual than God has brought me into a family. Perhaps you've seen this, how even in American churches today, this has affected the way we think, perhaps the way you think. We pick churches based on, well, are the people there that are like me, people I can connect with easily. It's not necessarily how God really made his church. He decided to bring Jews and Gentiles together and said, get along, when there was deep ethnic division between them. Or perhaps we have learned to sing songs that are personal love ballads to God. Nothing wrong with it. I love God. I hope you do. I hope you sing songs about how much you love God. But how much do we sing songs about how much we love God? Or perhaps we see church as a beneficial thing for the Christian life, but not a deeply essential thing for our lives. And so we show up on Sunday mornings. We're here for the hour and then we leave. Not really to connect with the church in any meaningful way, but to show up for a worship service. How are we seeing the church of Christ as deeply ingrained into our own lives? That we need one another. All who are justified in Christ. We're bound together into a beautiful family together. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 we read, for just as The body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body are many, and yet they are one, so it is in Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of the one spirit. You hear the beauty of the unity of the church of Christ brought together to be in communion with one another? This is a beautiful thing, and God has for his church acts of corporate obedience, ways in which we can walk by faith together. Just like the ancient Israelites had to walk by faith together at Jericho and through the Red Sea. You know, by faith, God calls us to safeguard the gospel together. 
to look after this message of the truth, to make sure it's protected among us. He tells us to love one another. By faith, love the person who is not like you in this room. Love the person who you find difficult. To live in harmony with them. By faith, welcome one another and bear one another's burdens. By faith, do not neglect the meeting together. Make a regular habit of being with the brothers and sisters in Christ. By faith, fulfill the Great Commission. This is only a work that the church can do together. There's no one of us here in this room who will single-handedly evangelize the nations. It will take his church, our church, and so many others around the world to bring the good news of Jesus to the world. You see, at the Red Sea and at Jericho, the people of God were called to move together as one in faith. God didn't merely call Moses or Joshua to this faithful act. He called his people together to this step of faithfulness, this act of faith. And so God continues even today to call his covenanted people together to corporate acts of faithfulness that we might, by faith as God's people, trust God to do impossible things even among us. I wonder today, what are those impossible things that we see the church is being called to and how we together will connect, link arms, and walk together in faithfulness to Jesus Christ? We've seen beautiful examples of it in the past. And we today get an opportunity that one day the saints that come after us can look back at our generation and say, I see how they also walked by faith. Let us pray. Our merciful Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your adoptive work in Jesus Christ. Thank you for taking people who were your enemies and making them your children. We confess that this is an impossible thing that you've done. We were sinners, deserving only the weight of your full judgment. But you sent your Son. You sent him to bear our penalty. Now we are forever thankful for the grace which you have shown us in Jesus Christ. Father, through Hebrews 11, we see how you have called your people to trust you in impossible situations. We're encouraged by their faith And we desire to be a people of faith who trust you completely. Forgive us of our slowness in trust and our slowness in obedience, but shape our hearts to be hearts of flesh, not hearts of stone like you promised to give us. That we might take joy in trusting you. That we might turn to you when the situation seems impossible. Even as you are our Father, teach us to see and value and love the family you've brought us into. We praise you for not just rescuing us unto ourselves, but rescuing us into a covenant family together. Thank you for giving us brothers and sisters in Christ. 
teaching us to see them as an eternal family that are bound together in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. It is, in fact, in his name, that precious name, most holy name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.